and welcome to the Public School Matters podcast presented by the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. I'm Katherine Joyce, NCASA's Executive Director, and joining me as she does for each episode is Legal Affairs and Policy Manager Elizabeth Yelverton. Together, we talk about the legislative and policy news affecting our public schools in North Carolina. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. We are thrilled to have with us today two wonderful gentlemen that help ensure our students are safely transported to and from our schools each day. So joining us today are Marlon Watson, Transportation Director for Johnston County Schools and the President of the NC Pupil Transportation Association, as well as Brian McClung, Transportation Director of Rutherford County Schools. Yes, welcome Marlon and Brian, and thank you both for joining today's conversation on the very important topic of school transportation in North Carolina. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And Marlon, I heard Elizabeth mention that you were president of the NC Pupil Transportation Association, or NCPTA. And for most folks, that's not typically what comes to mind when you hear the name NCPTA. So can you tell us a little bit about the other NCPTA that you now lead? So the NCPTA stands for the North Carolina Pupil Transportation Association. And it is an association that brings together those who are interested in betterment of public schools transportation in North Carolina. The association strives to incorporate higher standards in operation and maintenance of school bus transportation to aid in securing and maintaining professional improvements of its members. Well, thanks for that introduction, Marlon. Like uh, Catherine said, a lot of people um, don't understand that NCPTA, um, you know, there's a, another organization uh, that handles all these transportation issues for our state and for our students. Um, our listeners might also be interested to know that uh, NCPTA is one of NCASA's, so our, um, our job, that is one of our 12 affiliate organizations that represent all facets of school leadership in North Carolina. And certainly nothing is more important than our student safety, which we know is the core mission of uh, the transportation directors and our membership. So, Brian, uh, now that those bright yellow school buses are rolling again across the state, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how our transportation services are um, are doing so far in this new school year. They are doing fantastic if they have a driver. Uh, that I, seems I to be that. That, seems, <laughs> that seems to be our biggest challenge this year is uh, finding drivers. Uh, I, I mean, it's always been a problem. Uh, ever since obviously I've been in this business, but uh, more so now than ever. Well, thank you for that, Brian. And I know getting back into the normal school routine, that can often cause some bumps in the road, no pun intended for our school bus (laughs) folks. Um, and, And that does include our school bus services. But I'm thinking back to last school year. It seems that we had a shortage of bus drivers last school year, too, and that is carrying over into the new year um, that we've just gotten underway. So, Marlon, can you um, tell us a bit about what you and some of our other transportation directors believe are contributing to the shortage we're seeing across the state in bus drivers as well as maybe some bus mechanics? 
Absolutely. I think some of the things that we're seeing, you know, salaries that are comparable to other comparable careers, um, such as mechanics that are working for the state compared to those that are working with private industry. Also, our bus drivers, who certainly does a wonderful job each day, but comparing their salaries to those other those other employees that hold CDLs as well. Salary compression is also one of those things that um, tend to uh, contribute as a factor for the bus driver shortage, as well as in uh, bus drivers being nine-month employees. You know, we tend to lose drivers in the summertime prior to school beginning because they need work during the summer, during the summer as well. And so I think all of those things creates a combination of factors of why we have, you know, um, bus driver shortages and mechanic shortages across the state. Well, we definitely appreciate that, you know, inside look into what's going on, Marlon. And um, we're definitely hearing from a lot of superintendents um, and other school leaders who would like to see that statewide minimum pay, including for our bus drivers, mechanics, custodians, teacher assistants, and all of our other really valuable non-certified personnel. I know that they would really like to see that raised to $20 per hour, at least, um, as long as we can get some assistance from the state to, to help with that. And as we both know, that would definitely help our districts be more competitive with those private sector jobs that you were mentioning, um, where, you know, you are seeing $20 per hour working at a fast food restaurant. So Marlon or or Brian, for either of you, what are your thoughts on on raising that minimum wage? I think that's where we start uh, is $20 an hour. Uh, As far as technicians go, mechanics, it's challenging because my guys at the shop, uh, they're within a 10 minute walk of another state agency where they can make $10,000 more a year. Right. So, and, and there's no real uh, justification for that. It's the identical engines. Uh, so there's no difference in that. There's less liability. There's less responsibility. I mean, we, we transport kids, you know, that, that state agency transports rocks and dirt, you know, so it's, it's challenging. It's, it's, it's a bit, uh, does, doesn't do a whole lot for morale. Uh, when you see another state employee and they're on a totally different scale uh, than my guys. So yeah, $20 an hour is, is a, it's a start. Uh, the thing to keep in mind about bus drivers is there's, there's vast differences. You know, we have people that, you know, some of our EC buses that they may be on the bus eight hours a day versus, you know, an elementary school that may be, you know, maybe it's two hours a day. Uh, so, you know, to go and drive a school bus uh, for elementary or, you know, call it middle school, you know, middle school for $20 for an hour route. It's those kids can be um, challenging, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in some of the larger districts, they they uh, they have like a three tier where you can get, get the drivers more hours. Uh, some of the smaller districts, they may not have that opportunity because they may be more rural. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just not going to work in, in our world. Marlon? I think I'll just follow up by saying, you know, I think the fluctuation of route times, meaning some routes are shorter, some routes are longer, um, does cause a negative impact for drivers to be able to sustain, you know, what they're going to make from from paycheck to paycheck, you know, because they don't really have a true set of set of uh, hours. You know, if a kid doesn't show up on a route, then their time may be cut that particular day or that at that morning or that afternoon. And so, again, it creates a little bit of uh, fluctuation 
which also is hard to, you know, budget when you have a, a your, your salary is kind of up and down and you don't know what to expect from month to month. Valid points from both of you. And, and thank you for discussing some of that. And I'm thinking our listeners out there may not know that our state right now just raised the minimum pay for bus drivers, cafeteria workers, custodians, teacher assistants, and others who we call non-certified personnel just raised their pay to $15 an hour. So it's nowhere near the $20 an hour that we're talking about as being the starting point for being competitive with private sector jobs. But I think with that, there's something you mentioned a a bit ago, Marlon, that I want to pick back up on, which is the issue of salary compression. So when the state raises the minimum pay level like it did in the last year, and it raised the minimum pay level to $15 an hour, suddenly you probably within your district have new people who must be paid $15 an hour coming into a bus driver or mechanic role. And you've got others who've been doing a a good job for you for quite some time. And where does the money come from to pay those people? So we know that's a difficult issue anytime that you're looking at paying um, new hires and existing employees the same newly mandated level so we think it. we at NCASA have been talking about it would be really important not only to raise the minimum pay level for our non-certified employees to $20 an hour, but also provide a pot of funds from the state to help our school districts retain those veteran employees who, who we desperate, desperately need to keep in these jobs, especially in school transportation. So just, just want to put that plug in there too and, and think that's something that would be critical as we're looking at the long session of the General Assembly. Yeah, that you're absolutely right, Catherine. Um, that's definitely, you know, one of our biggest priorities going into the 2023 legislative session. But we also know that as difficult as this staffing issue is, that's not the only issues that are facing our um, that our school transportation directors are facing. Brian, what are some of the other challenges that you're currently seeing? Oh, gosh, um, uh, the technician shortage is is it's pretty rough. The uh, you know, we've gone, just me in particular, sometimes we go a year uh, having a job posted for technicians. Um, and, you know, I'm interviewing people uh, for a technician job that are making more than me in the private sector. So it's it's not much fun. But uh, other than that, you know, there's other challenges as well. The, the state uh, and replacing the school buses, uh, you know, when we went home uh, for COVID, uh, a lot of our buses weren't getting the miles. Um, so that has put a kind of a wrench in the mix, uh, trying to, uh, it's almost like check playing chess, if you will, uh, you know, putting buses where they will get the most mileage. If you have buses that, uh, say, you know, it's close on the years, but it's not going to make the miles. Uh, you need to get it over to a different route. Uh, of course, if you have a lot of times that doesn't make drivers happy. So, so that's a whole nother conversation. But that's what I would say. Uh, we've had some issues with uh, supply chain issues, uh, getting parts. Uh, that seems to have settled down quite a bit. Uh, you know, where a uh, seat manufacturer, uh, they may have a, they may have to send a whole shift home, uh, which cuts down on production. Which means everybody's kind of fighting over, you know, the same parts, if you will. We've had some parts that have been on back order for six months. Uh, so, you know, it, it gets challenging uh, trying wow. to shuffle everything around. 
some very um, valid concerns that I, I hadn't thought about some of those issues. And the one you mentioned with the state delaying the school bus replacement cycle. So because your buses were not running um, in, in 2020 and, and you weren't using as many miles there, then that, that affected your whole cycle for when you can get new, new buses uh, paid for by the state. So I, I'm sure that is challenging. What about bu- uh, fuel prices? Has, has that impacted uh, school transportation very much as we've seen that really big spike in, in prices and, and which we hope now starting to, to come down a bit? It has for us. Uh, you know, it, it went up so fast. Uh, it, it was it was kind of crazy there for a while. But uh, I think, Marlon, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we had one uh, application for uh, fuel contingency, but then there was a second one. The second one got shot down, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember that right. Uh, you know, the state has forecasters where they say, you know, diesel fuel will be such and such price for the average price for the year. And that's what the state goes by. That's the way they fund, uh, you know, school transportation. That's the average price of, say, $2 a gallon. Then that's how it, that's how they figure our budgets uh, in regards to the fuel. Now, when it goes up, then they have to either adjust or we're kind of on our own. And it can go either way. Sometimes they come through and do fuel contingencies. A lot of times they'll do contingencies, but it doesn't meet uh, the average price of the fuel. So uh, it's uh, fun times. <laughs> Again, no pun intended, but it sounds like you all have a lot to navigate to keep our buses uh, running each and every day. And it I really think you both have done an outstanding job in in talking about some of the key issues that you and other transportation directors in North Carolina are facing. And I'm wondering, as we start to wrap up our episode of this podcast, Marlon, I want to turn to you as president of NCPTA and want to ask if you could wave your magic wand, what action would you uh, like to see the Department of Public Instruction, the State Board of Education, or the North Carolina General Assembly take to help ease some of the concerns that you all have been talking about today that are some of the biggest issues facing school transportation and in trying to to even further improve the support that transportation services are providing to students in, uh, in our state. I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of is years ago, People used to come from the private sector because of the benefits that the state offered. And so if I had a magic wand to be able to wave, I think that one of the things that I would want to fix would be the cost of the rising cost of insurance, as well as co-pays. Also, new employees used to be able to, once they got vested, they would have insurance paid after they retired. And I think that, you know, having that was was a huge benefit as well. And I think in recent years that has been um, eliminated or you had to be grandfathered in in order for your benefits to still be active uh, after retirement, even if you left the state, you know, um, after five years of employment. But I don't think that's the case any any longer. So that would be one of the things that I would fix. Also, better technology, better technology on our buses where drivers wouldn't have to use any more paper or handwritten routes. Uh, The buses would have turn by turn navigation. One of the things that Mr. Uh, McClung mentioned a minute ago, the increased cost of parts and fuel. I think that, you know, the state has to look at um, the fact that everything has increased. And when I say everything, I'm talking about cost. And when you look at all, all the items where cost has increased, 
I think that there should be something built into our funding formula to um, actually account for the increased cost of parts and, and fuel where we don't have to submit a contingency fund where, you know, we have someone that projects um, the increased cost of, of the things that we're spending to keep our day-to-day -day operation afloat. Also with the supply chain issue, um, I think that, you know, one of those things that, that we have to look at as well as far as the supply chain issue is, again, increased cost because there is a uh, shortage of supplies and for each LEA to be um, appropriately compensated for the increased uh, cost. One final thing that I want to mention is that NCPTA is currently working with DPI services uh, to help our Hispanic speaking population of mechanics so that the uh, inspection manual as well as the inspection test that mechanics have to take to become certified to inspect buses can be written in Spanish. And so um, I think that that opens up uh, a, a new population for our team and also provides us with more work, more of a workforce or, or more of a robust workforce. And so I think that opening up those doors for our Hispanic speaking population will also just help help to open up more avenues to, to get to increase our workflow, our workforce. Well, that's a great wish list. And the bottom line is it all means it, it's something to ensure our students have safe transportation. So thank you for that list. And we hope that our next session of the General Assembly will see some progress on some of the items that you've touched on there as uh, some of the some of the key things that you would like for um, our lawmakers and others to focus on for school transportation. And just know that you have the support of us here at NCASA in trying to work with our school transportation directors in uh, raising the awareness on these issues and others that you're facing. So thank you for that. And um, just thank you both for uh, for being here. But I'd say one final opportunity, are there any other comments you'd like to make for our listeners out there to hear? I guess I got one other thing. Marlon got the good question. He was going to wave a magic wand. I didn't get that <laughs> question. Uh, I just want to give you an example of the funding formula that we work with. So several years back, we made the move to put seatbelts on the buses and the state at that time, it was the state said, if you want them, we'll pay for them, which is great. So we got on board. We were using seatbelts on our buses now on the new ones. So the way that the funding formula works is the more that we spend, the worse our efficiency, the more our efficiency falls. So the less state money we will get. So we used um so we've got these seatbelts on buses, right? Making kids safer and all that. But what we're running into now is uh, replacing some of those seatbelts. Um, but as we replace the seatbelts, I mean, we're talking hundreds of seatbelts. The more and more we replace them, the more we spend, the less money we get from the state. And it's our effort to keep kids safer. So that's that's one of the challenges that we have is, is it's not a... Uh, I guess we spend money on safety, but yet we're penalizing ourselves trying to keep the kids safe, if that makes sense. I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it makes sense. So maybe that that's something that that we definitely need to put in conversations with lawmakers about 
maybe that school transportation formula needs an upgrade to really focus on um, how it works and you should actually benefit from from taking extra effort to improve student safety rather than being penalized with the funding that you get from the state um, as a result. So thanks for bringing that to our attention, too. I would like to mention, if possible, I know that, you know, COVID funds are temporary. And I know that in some cases they will be going away soon. I know a lot of the school districts use the COVID funding to help either retain or recruit employees. So I'm a little concerned about, you know, after uh, the COVID funds go away, how school districts are going to be able to maintain given the, the dollars that they use to recruit and to retain drivers as well as mechanics and, and, and other staff. And so that's one of the things that I would, I, that I would, you know, bring to the attention of, you know, the public that, you know, as these funds um, go away, um, you know, how do we sustain moving forward? And, and you've hit it on the head, Marlon, that that is a funding cliff that you're talking about. And it's something facing our school districts um, in school transportation services, as well as in other areas of our school budget. So it's a very real issue. So thank you for bringing that um, to the forefront as well. Well, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap up this episode of our podcast. We do thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedules to talk about these important issues. And we just really thank you both for your ongoing leadership in in, uh, helping to support your colleagues around the state, as well as working to make sure that our students have safe transportation to and from school each and every day. So thank you both for being here. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both for joining us. We know that you are transporting precious cargo and we want to make sure that we at NCSA are doing everything we can to help address some of the issues you're facing. Um, but speaking of issues, if you if you listeners out there have any topics that you would like NCASA to feature on this podcast, um, feel free to email us at info at NCASA.net. And if you want to learn more about some of the resources that we provide, feel free to reach out to our team directly um, at that same email, or you could just visit our website, ncasa.net. And also make sure to check us out on Twitter at NCASA Tweets. So thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. You've been listening to Public School Matters with the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. To stay up to date on legislation and policy news affecting K-12 education, we hope you'll join us for future episodes and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you for helping us ensure that each public school in North Carolina matters.